1 Kings 17, starting in verse number 8. And the word of the Lord came unto him, saying, came to Elijah right now, uh, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, Bring me, I pray thee, it means please, a morsel of bread in thine hand. And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I have not a cake. I don't have any bread. I don't have a loaf of bread. But a handful of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. And behold, I am gathering two sticks that I may go in and dress it for me and my son, that we may eat it and die. Really happy outlook on life, right? And Elijah said unto her, Fear not, go and do as thou hast said, but make me thereof a little cake first, and bring it unto me, and after make for thee and for thy son. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel, The barrel of meal shall not waste, neither shall the cruise of oil fail until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. And she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not, neither did the cruise of oil fail according to the word of the Lord, which he spake by Elijah. Okay, so today we're talking about, just right up front, we're talking about serving others. I mean, you can't read this passage and not think about serving others. So we're talking about the priority of serving others. And so I could talk to you about some of the great acts of service in the Bible, right? I could talk to you about some of the great acts of service, like when Jesus got down on his knees and uh, before, the evening before he was to be crucified, he got down on his knees. He, uh, he told all of his disciples to get into a line and he took a basin full of water. I could tell you about the story where he washes all of his disciples' feet, even Judas and even Peter, who was going to betray him not a few hours after that moment. I could talk to you this morning about how a little boy with just a few uh, loaves of bread, a few slices of bread and a few fish, he gave that little lunch of his to Jesus, and Jesus multiplied that bread to feed thousands of people. I could talk to you about those great acts of service this morning, but I'm not because those great acts of service that produced these amazing miracles don't really take place in our life. When you're making your kids uh, lunch in the morning, it doesn't multiply into 20, 50 lunches. You just get the one, right? We're not like the little boy who gave his lunch to Jesus. Jesus multiplied it into thousands. When we serve people, we serve our spouse, we serve somebody at work, we serve somebody we know. It doesn't have some great miraculous effect. It, just, it is what it is. So we're going to talk about something that's very down to earth. Not a great miracle, not some great feat, but it is an act of service. So instead, we're going to be talking about the story of a poor widow woman who was living in a drought. So our story takes place in Israel during the time of the prophets. 
where prophets were raised up by God to speak on his behalf. And Elijah, the character of our story this morning, he is one of the greatest prophets in the Old Testament. He was one of the most powerful prophets in the Old Testament. And he was a hardcore dude. He was a hardcore guy because he was living in a time in Israel when Israel had worshipped, they were worshipping pagan idols. They were not, Israel was far from God, as the Bible says. And on top of that, the king in Israel at this time was a very evil king. He was King Ahab. This is the same king that was married to Jezebel. King Ahab was a very evil king. He was so evil, in fact, uh, he went up to a farmer one day and he said, uh, let me buy your farm from you. And this farmer, he owned a vineyard. He said, I'm not selling it. And so just so he could buy a man's vineyard, he killed a farmer just so he could buy this man's vineyard, just so he could have a vineyard. He was a bad king. Kings were supposed to be examples. Think of King David. He was an example of a man after God's own heart. King Ahab was the opposite of that. He was a bad guy, and he had led Israel to, uh, into pagan idol worship. And so Elijah, the prophet of God, he squares up against King Ahab in verse number one. We didn't read that, but you can read it while you have some time later on this week. He squares up. He comes right at the king of Israel, King Ahab at this time. He's, I don't know if he's in the palace or where he meets him, but uh, just for the sake of story, let's say he meets him in his palace and he squares up against the king and he says, King, you have been uh, living wickedly. You've driven away Israel from worshiping God. And so what I'm going to do because of your sinfulness for three years, Israel is going to live in a drought. For three years, rain will not not fall from the earth, there won't even be dew on the ground for three years because of the sinfulness uh, and because of your sinfulness and because of where you've led Israel. And so God speaks to Elijah after Elijah's said that, and, and God essentially says to Elijah, you better run for your life because what you just said to the, to, to, to the king of Israel, you're going to be one of the most wanted individuals in all of Israel. So God essentially says to him, you need to get out of Dodge. You need to leave. And so uh, Elijah, he goes into the middle of the desert. He lays low for a little bit. And while he's in the desert, laying low, Obviously, you're in a desert. You don't have any food. You don't have any water. So God allows a, wa a little brook, the brook at Cherith, uh, to, to give, to sustain him. But also, what's really cool is that God, he sends ravens to feed Elijah. The ravens weren't his food. The ravens were carrying his food. So God, essentially, he creates Grubhub and DoorDash just for Elijah he has these ravens bring Elijah food every morning and every evening, every single day until one day God tells Elijah, he says, okay, you've been out in the desert long enough. I've sustained you long enough. I want you to go to a city called Zarephath. It's a, it's a coastal city up north near Tyre and Sidon. It's, it's actually quite north. It, was, it, was, it should have been out of the reach of King Ahab, which is why God tells him to go to that city. He goes, go to Zarephath. And while he's in Zarephath, we just read our story and everything that happens uh, in this story. And the story of what happens to Elijah and this widow woman is what's going to teach us about serving. The priority of serving others this morning. So let's look at verse number 9. Arise, this is what God tells Elijah. Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, Sidon. And dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. A widow woman. Why is that interesting? Because God for the past, I don't know, maybe a couple months, maybe a couple weeks. We don't know how long it was. God has been sustaining Elijah miraculously through ravens. 
through ravens, he's been sending food morning and evening. I mean, this is, this, is, this, is, this is an amazing thing that God has done. And of all the people God could have chosen to sustain Elijah longer, he chooses a widow woman. You would think, Elijah, one of the greatest prophets in all the Old Testament, you would think that God would sustain this great prophet Elijah. You would think that God would send him to some great person's house, some wealthy individual's house. You would think that he would send this guy to some person that was in intelligence, maybe in the CIA, some guy that could really uh, keep him secret, keep him, keep him laying low, some guy that could really, uh, he had a lot of power, he had a lot of influence, he had a lot of say in what's going on, and he could, he could really take care of Elijah. But instead, God sends Elijah, almost counterintuitively, to a widow to keep him safe from a king who wants to, who's mobilized the entire kingdom to come after him. A widow woman? What's God trying to, why does he do this? Why does God send Elijah to a widow woman when he's just sustained Elijah miraculously through ravens in the middle of a desert? Why does he kind of downgrade, so to speak, to a widow woman? Here's why. God is trying to teach Elijah, and I think he's trying to teach us this morning, a very important principle about service, a very important principle about serving others, and it's this. The principle is, is that you don't have to be much to do much. You don't have to have much to accomplish much. You don't have to be this great person in order to serve other people. You don't have to be a great person. You don't have to have many things in order to be greatly used and greatly serve other people. God is proving that anybody who wants to serve others can be used by God to serve others. If a little widow woman can be used by God to serve a great prophet, then certainly God can use any one of us to serve somebody else. He can use any one of us to serve. You know why? You know why? You know what God's trying to teach this widow woman, you always got to try to teach us this morning that little is much when God is in it. You ever heard that saying before? Little is much when God is in it. She just had a little bit. God loves to make something from nothing. God loves to multiply from zero and produce something from it. He loves to use a little to make much. And you see this all throughout the Bible, right? You see God doing this all the time. God used Noah's little boat to save the world, literally, to save mankind. God used Moses' little staff to part an ocean. God used a little shepherd boy to defeat a giant. Jesus used jars of water to produce wine. Jesus used a little mud to heal a blind man. God used, uh, he, Jesus used, as we just talked about, Jesus used one little boy's lunch to feed thousands. God used one man on a cross to save all men from death. Because God loves to use little things. He, he, he takes a little bit and he can multiply that little bit into much. Little is much when God is in it. The recipe for a miracle always calls for a little. That's a, that's, that's a cool thought because that means God can use us. That means God can, we can, all, what we have to serve with can be used by God and multiplied. I don't know if you've ever been to Idlewild before. We were there a while back, last July actually, and we were, we were camping. We took a couple days camping. And so while we were there, the first evening we pulled into Idlewild, we, we set up our camp, and then we were going to pull right into town, see if we can get some stuff from town, coffee or whatever. As we're driving into town, there's off on the left-hand side of the road as we were driving in, there's this little open space. We didn't know this was going on, but there was actually like a little festival for pottery. 
All these people would have their, their crafts and their arts, and a lot of it, most of it was pottery. Some of these people, they were just all local people, local crafters, local artisans, and they had their pottery out there. They had all of their wares, and I have a picture of it this morning. And they had, they had all the things that they've created. And so me and, uh, me and Amanda would walk through all of these areas, and we would see the people's pottery, and we'd see their wares. And we'd look at some of the pieces, and they were so intricate. They were so detailed. They were so, I mean, they were beautiful pieces of work. Some of them had a little bit of color. Some of them had a little bit of an artistic flair to it. But you know what most of, almost of, if not all of these pieces were made from? One thing. One, one, one. They were all made from one thing. Clay. That's it. A little bit, a little bit of clay. A little bit of water. You have somebody molding it. Just made from a little bit of clay. That's what God does. You say, I don't have much. You don't need much. God can take just a little bit of, just like a potter, he can take a little bit of human clay, really just dust of the earth. He can take a little bit of human clay and mold it and use it to serve other people and multiply it. Never underestimate what God can do with your service. You say, I don't have a lot. You may, you may not have many talents. You may not have many gifts. You may not have much wealth or means. You may have just a little. That's okay because God uses just a little and God's the one who gave you that little to begin with. You say, I don't have a lot. You don't need a lot. You see this in 1 Peter chapter 4. As every man hath received the gift, even so minister the same one to another. As every man hath received the gift. It's so interesting because we're going to be talking about this very thing in growth track today. As every man hath received the gift, you have received a gift from God to use to serve other people. You've received a gift. The moment you trusted Jesus Christ, he gave you a gift. He imparted to you from the Holy Spirit a gift, a spiritual divine gift that is to be used to help other people and to build other people up. Uh, build up other people up. If the story tells us anything, it tells us that we all have something with which to serve other people. God has put something in each and every one of you. God's put something in you to serve other people. In your neighborhood, he's put something in you to serve your neighborhood. He's put something in you to serve your home. In the people you know, he's given you something to serve them. You may have just a little, but that little is a gift from God. That little that you have, that's from God. And if God's put that in you, he can use it in you. He can multiply it. You may not see your service as much, but he sure does. You ever been to Home Depot before? And uh, this thought always crosses my mind when I walk into Home Depot or Lowe's. I always walk into Home Depot or Lowe's, and I think to myself, I think I've told my wife this out loud before, what would you buy if somebody gave you a $1,000 gift card to Lowe's? You ever, you, ever, you ever had that little thought experience? I'm sure some of you guys had. And what, what if you had, what if you could take, what if you could spend as much money in, that you wanted in Lowe's or Home Depot? Like, what would you buy? And I start going through my mind, like, all the things I would buy. And I always find myself going to the tool section first. Love the tool section. You may already have half the tools in the tool section, but you still want another one, right? So we go to the hammers. I want to, every time I go to the tool section, I'm, I need another hammer. My wife says, you already have a hammer. Yeah, you, can never, you can never have too many hammers, you know. I want another hammer. I need another screwdriver. There's a pack of screwdrivers. I want a pack of screwdrivers. I want all the tools in the tool section. Even if I have more, I want all the tools. They come out with a new tool, I want that tool. And I want the good kind. I want DeWalt, right? I want the DeWalt tools. Some of you have Ryobi. I'll pray for you. It's not Ryobi. You need DeWalt, right? You have DeWalt tools. 
That's what I think of. You know, even the smallest tools, even the smallest tools, those are the ones I want too. A hammer. I see the hammer. I'm like, man, I want one of these hammers. Why do I want a hammer? You know what a hammer is made out of? A piece of wood, a stick with a metal piece on it, and you hit stuff with it. And I want a hammer. Every time I go there, I want a hammer. I need a screwdriver. It's a little piece of metal that's coming out of it. It's another piece of metal that's just coming out of a stick. You, you make things tight with it. A little screwdriver. It's not important, right? It's a little piece. It's a little hammer. Why do I want a hammer? Why is a screwdriver important? Not because of what it's made out of. Not because of how simple it is. But because we understand what it can do. Right? You understand that with a hammer, a stick with a little piece of metal at the end of it, you can put a roof on a house with that. With a little screwdriver, some of you, you could build a car with that. Some of you, you could, you could with a little ratchet set, so you guys could, you could make a whole, you could make a whole little, you could make a whole little thing if you wanted to make a go-kart with that little thing. You still value the tools. You still value the hammer. You still value the little screwdriver, not because they're complex, not because they're great, not because they're big, but because you understand what you can do with them. That's why God wants to use you. Not because we're great, not because we're complex, not because we have this great potential, not because we have lots of talents, although all those things are great. The reason God wants to use us is because he sees what he can do with you. He sees what your service can produce. When you serve other people, he knows that he can do much with that. Little is much when God is in it. That's how God sees your service. That's what God thinks of your gifts, the gifts he's given you. He's given you these things because he sees what he can do with them. From a widow, he can work wonders. So let's see what she does. God says, this is who you're going to meet. This is who's going to help you, a widow woman. So what does she do? Verse number 10. So he arose. Elijah, went to Zarephath, as God had commanded, and when he came to the gate of the city, behold, the widow woman was there, as God said she would be, gathering of sticks. And he called to her and said, Fetch me, I pray thee, a little water in a vessel, I want water, that I may drink. And as she was going to fetch it, he called to her and said, uh, Can you get me some bread too, while you're at it? And she said, As the Lord thy God liveth, I don't have any bread. All I have is a little bit of meal in a barrel and a little oil in a cruise. Behold, I'm gathering two sticks that I may go in, start a fire, dress the meal in the oil, make some bread from it, that we may eat it and die. Why does she say that last phrase, that we may eat it and die? Okay, Elijah travels to Zarephath. He meets this woman, as God said, he would meet this woman. And he says to her, give me some food and some water. And she says to him the most heartbreaking thing, the most heartbreaking uh, story she tells him. She says, I am a widow. I'm a widow woman. That means her, her husband's died. He's passed away. And she was obviously a younger woman because she has a young son. So she's probably in her 30s. She says, I am a widow woman. I have my son. And we're in the middle of this drought. It hasn't rained for three years. I don't know how long it had been at this time. Maybe a couple months, maybe a couple years. It hasn't rained for a long time. We're in the middle of a drought. All I have left is a little oil in my bottle of oil in a little flour at the bottom of my barrel. All I have left is a little bit of oil, a little bit of flour. I'm going to go to my son, my house. I have gathered a couple twigs and some sticks. Uh, I'm going to go to my house. I'm going to build a fire. This is all the food we have because I'm a widow woman, because it's a drought, because we have nothing. That's all I have. I'm going to build this fire, make this food, and then we're going to literally starve to death after that. And Elijah, he's a typical dude. He says, yeah, but make me some food. He says, I need some food. Give me some food. So she has a decision to make, right? Probably the most important decision she's going to make in her entire life. She can either 
go make the food for herself and her son. Nobody would have blamed her for that. I wouldn't have blamed her for that. She's trying to take care of her son. That's her priority, right? She could prioritize herself and her son, or she could take what little she had and give it to a dude she had never met, and if she had met him, she'd realize this is the guy who called the drought in the first place. So she can serve herself. She can prioritize herself and her son with her, their legitimate needs, or she can serve someone she's never met. She can serve others. Most important decision she's going to make, literally a life or, death, life or death decision. And what does she do? Verse number 15. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah. So she serves Elijah. She served in spite of having an amazing thing. And honestly, if I was in her place, I wouldn't have done what she did. An amazing thing. She serves in spite of having nothing. She, she served in spite of the unfair cards life had dealt her. In spite of all the unfair things that had befallen her, in spite of not having a husband and a husband that died at that, in spite of having no control over her life, no control over her financial situation, in spite of having no control over the drought in the land, she serves anyway. What priority is God trying to teach us this morning? The priority of serving others before serving self. An important principle, important priority. If we want to be used, if we want to have a life that pleases God, if we want to have a life that we can find true happiness and joy and peace, and we ought to prioritize serving other people over serving ourselves. That's what God is trying to teach us. One of the most powerful ways we can represent Jesus in this life is to serve others over serving ourselves. You see this in Mark chapter 10, verse number 45. For even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto. He's the widow woman in this situation. He came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Jesus didn't come to be served. He came to serve. You look the most like Jesus when you serve other people, when you prioritize serving other people over serving yourself. Serve others over serving self. Prioritize meeting your family's needs before your own. Serve your spouse before you serve yourself. Serve your friends before you serve yourself. Serve at your church. Find a way to serve others. Of all the people in this world, the follower of Jesus ought to be the person who serves the most. You know, I remember when I was in college, I went to a Bible college, and while I was in college, uh, every day we'd go, to, we'd go to lunch. Whatever time we went to lunch, we'd go to lunch. And in serving our lunch would be, every single day, volunteers. Every single day, the volunteers that would serve us our lunch, hundreds of college students in a cafeteria, and of all these volunteers, most of the volunteers were made up of widow women. Here's one thing all these years later I've never forgotten. I've never forgotten the service of a few people that wanted to invest in other people. That is what God is asking us to do, to serve other people over serving ourselves. You know, I think of every single Sunday we have here, every single Sunday we have set up and tear down. Set up and tear down. I tell people that come here for set up and tear down. If you come here for set up and tear down, you don't have to go to the gym the rest of the day because you got your workout in. Like it's hard, especially in the afternoons when it's all hot. It is. But you know what? Setting up and tearing down when nobody sees, that's service. That's serving others. That's serving Jesus. That is true service. You know, I think of my wife serving all the time. Maybe you're thinking, yeah, she serves all the time up here. That's not what I'm talking about. I, I think of my wife, Amanda, working uh, countless hours throughout the week, 
trying to get ready for singing on a Sunday morning. See, you guys see the, the, most of the time she's just right on the ball. She's singing. It sounds great. I see throughout the week she's singing in the house, trying to get all of it ready, trying to get it all ready hours in the week, trying to get it all ready. Sir, uh, in the car, well, on a way going somewhere, she's singing in the car, trying to get these songs down, trying to get it all figured out, trying to get it all memorized, trying to get it in her head, trying to make sure that the, uh, the, the tone is right and all the notes are right. I see that throughout. That's service, serving when no one else sees it. You know, I think of all the people that help out around Restoration Baptist Church. That's service, serving, prioritizing other people above themselves. You know, I think of all the, the, the people who serve in Restoration Kids throughout on a monthly basis. That'd be the, I mean, of all the jobs, I'd rather be up here speaking than helping kids out in the kids' class, having them beat me up and do all the crazy things, having them do whatever they do, having to teach them and help, you know, not give them any candy, making sure they're not running on the, on the roof or wherever. I mean, that's just, that's service. That is what God is trying to teach us this morning, to serve other people, not just at your church, at your home. Serve your spouse. Serve the people at your workplace. Serving people. The, wi the widow prioritized serving others over serving herself, and God has called us to do the same. Now I want to show you one of the reasons why you should serve. You say, okay, serving others over yourself, that's a hard pill to swallow. This woman served herself or served others over serving herself. That's a hard pill to swallow. She had everything to lose by serving others first. Why should we serve? Look at verse number nine. Go back to verse number nine. We already read verse number nine. He says, God says to Elijah, Arise, get thee to Zarephath, which belongeth to Zidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have, that next word right there, I have commanded a widow woman there to sustain thee. He says, commanded a widow woman. Well, that can be confusing. What does he mean, commanded? Does this widow woman, when she meets Elijah, does it sound like she knows she's been commanded by God to sustain Elijah? No, it doesn't. In fact, she says that she doesn't really want to serve him because she's going to die if she does. Does it sound, when you've read verses 10 through 12, like the widow woman knows that God has commanded her to, say, uh, to sustain Elijah, to give him food, to give him water, to give him anything he needs? No, it doesn't sound like that. So why does God say then, uh, I have commanded a widow woman to sustain you? Here's why. Because most of us, when we hear the word commanded, we think of someone's forcing us, right? Someone has told us, someone has, 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 has proclaimed to us, do this, do that, don't do that. They've commanded us. That's what we think when someone uses the word commanded. So when uh, we, we read that verse, we say, God's commanded. He's told this woman. He's forced this woman. He's told this woman. He said, you do this. That's not what this word means in this instance. What it means is, because this word commanded can mean many things, it means appointed. It means chosen. So literally when we read this verse, it doesn't mean I have told, I have forced this widow woman to sustain you. What God is saying is I have appointed this widow woman to sustain you. I have ordained this widow woman to sustain you. I've chosen this widow woman to sustain you. When you get Elijah, God's saying to Elijah, when you get over to Zarephath, I have appointed, I have somebody set up already to help you, to sustain you, to meet your needs when you are there. What's the point? The point is here. Why should you serve? Because you have an appointment. You have a special appointment by God to serve others other people. God has appointed you to serve other people. What looked to her like a random act of service was actually a special appointment from God to serve other people. 
You see, why should you serve? Because you have a special appointment from God to serve someone. You've been given a specific task. God has ordained you. He's given you a specific task. He's set you apart to serve other people, to help other people, to serve others. You are not here by accident. You are here by appointment. God has appointed you to this place. God has something here for you to do. God did not send you to Restoration Baptist Church by accident. God hasn't given you the resources that you have by accident. God hasn't uh, given you the skills that you've acquired uh, by accident, by mistake. You don't have them by mistake. The people in your life, they're not there by accident. It's not arbitrary. It's not random. God has appointed and positioned you there for them in this place for a specific reason. Isn't that an amazing thought? You are not here by accident. You are here by appointment. God has something specific here for you. And whenever I think of this idea, I think of something else uh, in sports. So I remember growing up, I'd play soccer. I don't know how many of you guys played sports growing up, but I played soccer. And I can remember my coaches, they would, once they knew that you were on the team, you made the cut. Once they knew you were on the team, they had to figure out where they were going to place you on the field. What position were you going to play? If you're a basketball, are you going to be forward? You're going to be point guard, power forward. You're going to be center. What are you going to be? In football, you're going to be lineman. You're going to be wide receiver, QB. That's all the positions I know for that game. On soccer, are you going to be uh, forward? Are you going to be midfield? Are you going to be goalie, striker? You go, what are you going to be? And they deliberate about this, right? I remember coaches talking about it. I remember I'd be in, uh, I'd be in high school. I'd be talking with my friends. Where do you think coach is going to put us? Where do you think what position, what, what position best suits me? Besides the bench, what position am I going to go on? You know, and the coaches, I knew they'd get together. And later on in life, I had found this out. The coaches, they'd get together and they'd, they'd deliberate over it. They'd talk about it. What do you think about this person here? What do you think about uh, him over here? He's kind of small. We'll put him way back here. He's strong. We'll put him way back here. He's a short guy. We'll put him as a guard. He's a real tall, overweight guy. He'll be center. We'll put him as a linebacker. That's where we're, and they would, they would deliberate. They would talk about it. And whenever you'd come to the day, the game day, and that you had your position, they'd set you at your position. You knew you were in that position on purpose. You knew you weren't there by accident because the coaches, the smart people, as you thought when you were teenagers, the smart people, they knew where they were putting you. They appointed you there for the best possible outcome. They appointed you there so that you could do the most in the game. That's why God's put you here. He's appointed you here because he has you here for something to do. He has something specific for you to do. He's positioned you here on purpose. It's not random. It's not by accident. It's not arbitrary. You are here because God has put you here. He's given you the people in your life because he has given you an opportunity to serve them. It's not random. He's placed you there for a purpose. The friendships that you have at work, the friendships you have in your neighborhood, God has positioned you in those friendships so that you can lead them closer to Jesus Christ. That is what God's telling us. You see this in 1 Kings chapter 17. God says to him, uh, God, God, God tells Elijah to tell her, fear not. Fear not. Of all the things Elijah, God could have told Elijah to tell to her. He says to her, fear not. Why does he say fear not? Because a lot of times we're, we're afraid of serving, right? We're afraid of where we are. 
We're, we think we're here by accident. God, I'm afraid of where I am right now. I don't see your purpose in it. I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why the things that have fallen apart in my life have fallen apart. I don't know why the things that have come together in my life have come together. I don't know why the things that are going on in my life are going on. And God is telling Elijah to tell her, fear not. Why? Because God's in control. You don't have to fear. That means that you can serve with passion. You can serve with selflessness. You can serve with courage. Knowing that God has put you here for a purpose, you don't need to fear. Elijah said to her, you don't need to fear. Fear not. Often what keeps us from serving is fear. Fear that if we serve, we'll get taken advantage of. Fear that we won't have enough. Fear that we won't be enough. Fear that we don't know enough. God says, fear not. You may not be enough, but that's okay. I am enough. And it is just so countercultural because the culture tells us you're enough. Everything, you just need to trust yourself, follow your heart. You are enough. That's not by my life experience. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. You know, I found out in my life I am not enough. That's what I found out in my life. So culture says you are enough. Well, you know what? You know who has been with me through every mistake and every problem I've made for myself? You know who's been with me every single time? Me. You know why? Because I am not enough. You know what God's saying? It's okay if you're not enough. The world will tell you you are enough. Your life experience will say that you are not enough. God says, you don't need to be enough. I am enough. And as long as you're with me, as long as you're in my plan, as long as you're serving others, you are enough because I am with you. The world says you're enough. You're not enough. I, my life experiences say I am not enough. God says I am enough for you. I am enough through you. You can serve because he is enough. And that's exactly what happens to the widow woman. That's exactly what happens to the widow woman. We find out that God is enough for her. She's not enough by herself. She finds out that God's enough. Look at verse number 14. This is cool. This is really cool. For thus saith the Lord God of Israel. Because this, what you're about to see is a miracle. But it's not a typical miracle. It's not one of the miracles where God provides tons of stuff. You could say that this is a modern miracle. Where God just provides enough. Look at this. First, for thus saith the Lord God of Israel. The barrel of meal... If you serve, and because you served, the barrel of meal shall not waste. God doesn't say, I'm going to multiply it. I'm not going to multiply the barrel of meal. I'm not going to multiply your flour. The barrel of meal will not waste. Neither shall the cruise of oil until the day that the Lord sendeth rain upon the earth. And she went and did according to the saying of Elijah, and she and he and her house did eat many days. And the barrel of meal wasted not doesn't tell us that God filled it. doesn't tell us that God filled the oil. This said it wasted not. According to the word of the Lord, which he spake to Elijah. So Elijah asked the widow to serve him the last of all her food and all of her oil and all of the things she had. And on behalf of God, she says yes. So the widow did this. And every day, until the drought ended, for three years this drought went on. And for three years God sustained her. So she had her little bit of oil, the cruise of oil, the bottle of oil. And then she had her barrel of flour. She probably didn't even have this much. And it probably looked a lot healthier than this flour. She had her oil and her flour. And she said, uh, Elijah said to her, give me the last of everything you have. Give me all that you have. 
essentially is what he's asking, because he, he, she had to give everything she had. Give me everything you have. Serve me first. And she says, okay. And so she pours out all of her flour. She pours out all of her oil. And she uses all of it. She pours out all of her oil. She pours, pours out all of her flour. She serves Elijah with everything she has. So she's left with nothing. Until the next day, and she wakes up, and you can picture this. She's thinking she doesn't have anything left. She's just going on the word of this prophet she doesn't know and never, has never met before. She wakes up in the next morning. It was an empty barrel of oil. And now it's the same spot it was the day before. God, God never says he fills it. He says it wasted not. So she had a little bit. And so she, I don't know if she used that much, the rest of that bottle of oil that day. And the next day, the third day, she wakes up and there's oil in it. And there's flour in her barrel. What's the point? That when we serve, God sustains. If we'll be faithful to serve, God will be faithful to sustain. You may pour out yourself into someone else. You may pour out your life into someone else, but that's okay because when you pour out yourself to someone else, God will pour himself into you. God will always be there to sustain you. Whatever happens in your life, I'm serving people. I'm serving here. I'm serving here. I'm, I'm, I'm pouring my life out to other people. God says, I will provide for you. You may provide for other people, but I will provide for you. I'd much rather have God providing for me than me providing for me. God says, I will provide for you. If we'll be faithful to serve, he'll be faithful to sustain. And I love what, the, uh, what, love what David says in the book of Psalms, chapter 37. I'll leave this with you this morning. He says, I have been young and now old, yet I have not seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. That's exactly what happened to the widow woman. I have never seen the righteous forsaken, nor his seed begging bread. You know why you can serve? Because God will sustain you throughout all of it.